0: Are appreciative for those signs of spring coming. I know my neighborhood, uh, which is right on the other side of that wall, when spring comes, you generally know because when spring is coming, there is this purple glow that you begin to see in people's garages or in their homes you don't know what that is, purple is the color of grow lights. As people begin to plant seeds, my neighbor Amanda had started planting seeds weeks ago in order to have a spring cold crop set in the ground before hopefully they left for spring break, which was this last week. Over the last several weeks, my wife Emily and our kids have set up a kind of a A line of progression, one of them putting in the the soil, the other poking a hole in the soil, another using a little squirter to just give a little dab of water into these cups. Emily placing the seed in and then covering it over and then placing it underneath the grow lights, hoping to germinate crops. In spring, we get excited about plants, and as you heard, we had five blueberry plants arrive at our house just yesterday. We have raspberry bushes, too. Part of spring is is not just looking at the new things that are growing, but recognizing those things that need to be cut off, that need to be pruned back. If anyone has had raspberry bushes, black raspberry bushes, grapes, or even roses, you know that in order for that plant to be more like itself, to be true to what God had intended it to be, you need to take a good hack at it, usually. Because if you leave them to grow on their own, what a rose bush will do and in what raspberry bushes will do is they will just send shoots all over the place and they'll get all intertwined as this huge bush and it's it's not allowing the sun to get in to where it needs to be you might get some roses but they're not going to be very big or impressive you might get some berries but they're going to be really small but if you prune them You allow the plant to become more of what it was meant to be to produce those big, beautiful rose blossoms, to produce those larger grapes that you can enjoy, to produce those raspberries that you can put with your ice cream or whatever you would desire. You want that tasty goodness. You need to put in a little bit of the work. I think our love of the spring of seeing tulips come out of the ground of of seeing those berries bud and those tree leaves return it gives us a wonderful perspective when we look at John chapter 15 which is where we're going today where Jesus talks about himself being the vine and us being the branches so grab your phone your bible And head to John 15. If you grab one of those black Bibles that's in the seats in front of you, you'll find it on page 876. We're going to read the first eight verses of John chapter 15 this morning. Hear these words. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. There's a farming trade in England uh, where people prune and lay down hedges. It was a way that they would help separate their fields from one another. There would usually be these unruly bushes or brambles that would separate out these fields. But what people began to do was to prune them and to to make them into a a fence. Here's you can kind of see what they've done with it a little bit. They take away all of the dead and even some of the the good branches, and they they kind of hack away at some of the bigger ones, and they make it so you can lay them down, and they put little stakes of of wood down, and they start weaving the smaller shoots in and through, and what they end up with is a living fence, a fence that is still connected to the root, a fence that is still going to be growing, and they had a variety of ways of doing this, and a variety of styles of doing this, where they would weave things together, where they would prune them, to make them something, perhaps, maybe we don't find it beautiful, but it was useful. Perhaps though, when we think of pruning, and we think of vines, we think of Pictures more so like this. If you've ever driven up to Old Mission Peninsula or driven to any wineries, you've seen pictures like this where there are rows and rows of grapevines that have been wound in through these fences. Emily and I, when we lived in Colorado, we lived in an area that was filled with orchards and filled with vineyards, and and you would drive through, you would see pictures like this. If you woke up at our house, you would even hear the neighbors playing music for their grapevines. From 8 a.m. to 10 p.m., every single day, music played for the grapevines. You can imagine it was something to get used to. And this is kind of the image that Jesus is reminding us of. A vineyard. It was really Israel that was known as God's vineyard. Israel was known as one, and and we can find it in Psalm 80, as... He talks about the vineyard being planted. You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. This is God talking about the nation of Israel. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. It was God who who brought Israel, this vineyard, out of Egypt, bringing them to the land, the promised land, the land that He had cleared out for it, a land in which they were going to dwell in and root themselves in and fill the land. The Lord took this bruised and battered and abused vine, a vine that was a a slave in Egypt, and He desired to protect it. It's kind of like the way Gardeners try to protect their vines. Maybe you've seen pictures like this where, where they try to protect it from the onslaught and the attack of the birds on the vine. The birds trying to grab the grapes. The, the birds that are trying to destroy something. The, the Lord protected them from that and then brought them to a new place. But though the the nation of Israel had been attacked and, and though they had experienced God pulling them away from that and, and bringing them into a new space and providing for them an area where they could grow and flourish and expand, though God did all that work, we hear some words in the, in the prophet's about the way the, the prophets were directed to speak of Israel, this vine from the Lord. If we go to Jeremiah chapter two, verse twenty-one, I had planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? Or or in Isaiah chapter five, Isaiah speaking for the Lord, he dug it up and cleared out the stones and planted it with the choicest of vines. He built a watchtower in it and and cut out a winepress as a well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes. But it yielded only bad fruit. Into this context about the way Israel knew of themselves being the vine, Jesus says, I am the true vine in John chapter 15 verse 1. Jesus, the true vine, is doing what the old vine could not do. He's doing what the people of Israel could not do on their own. He's He's the one that is holding God's purposes in his hand for his people. He is the one who will yield the good fruit for the Lord, something that Israel could not do. By Jesus calling himself the true vine, he he actually also invites us into the picture. Us who are not of Israelite Descent, because Jesus says that all of the followers who are in him, all of those who desire to remain in him, are really the true Israel of God. The reality of the vine and branches is that the Lord invites branches to be grafted in those branches that were not a part of Israel to begin with, those who would be considered Gentiles, he invites them in to be united and to abide or remain in him. Just as gardeners know how to prune and how to care for their plants, just as gardeners know and have an intimate relationship with their plants. It is Jesus who knows and has an intimate relationship with all the branches of his vine. He knows those that are not bearing good fruit. He knows those that are taking good energy away from the ones who could bear fruit. So Jesus, he says that the gardener will begin the process of pruning. The Lord removing the dead branches, the ones that are not bearing any fruit so that they wouldn't take energy away from the ones that will. And even the branches that do bear fruit, he he prunes so that it would be more fruitful. I think this pruning is its kind of a difficult portion of this passage. It's a, a difficult word, perhaps, for, for not just us, but also for Israel. You know, often these these I am statements has a, have a difficult word for Israel, speaking of the, the bad kings and, and the bad shepherds. And now speaking of the, the bad branches bearing no fruit. really says that God is ready to prune those in Israel who are more worried about being right than loving right. He is willing to to cut out these branches that used to be a living, active member of the vine because they're not bearing fruit anymore. They've ceased to bear God's love and compassion as they were supposed to. And I think, That's the rub that gets a little difficult when we start associating branches as people. It's a little difficult that we would think about cutting off someone from the life of Christ. And that's because they used to be vibrant. When you think about those times where you've had to cut branches off of that rose bush, you're perhaps cutting a branch off that just last year was producing beautiful rose buds that were flowering into these wonderful roses that you would pick and enjoy. You're cutting off those raspberry branches that once provided for your family and were fruitful. But now they're, they're dormant and dead. Branches never grow dead, do they? They're always vibrant. They're always living. They're always part of the plant. And in the, in the same way, when, when we consider ourselves as the branches... No one comes here as a dead branch. They, they come as a, a living member of Christ. And when one stops bearing fruit and when one leaves or is cut off, there's a wound that's left. A wound from the, the cut of ties between people and people. That part of the vine is now missing. I think sometimes our view of membership in the 21st century has clouded our understanding of membership within the body of Christ. I'm a member at Costco. I have a Hulu membership. I even have a fitness membership. I used to have a Netflix membership, but I decided to cut that one out. It wasn't that hard to cut that membership out. All I had to do was click a couple buttons on the internet. I didn't have to deal with any people and I could cut it all out. Voluntary membership clouds our understanding of what membership in the church looks like. Because voluntary membership with Costco or Hulu or fitness companies or Netflix or any of those, they don't really hold much weight. There isn't a long-lasting relationship that we're at risk of losing if we leave that to the side. I think a study of this passage has actually convicted me that I've held way less importance on membership of the church than I actually should have. I remember in council we had discussions about it, and I was like, well, I don't think we need to announce membership of people when they come. I mean, you know, it's good that they're here, but we don't need to make them stand up and say hi or have them come up front. But maybe, maybe that's something we should be doing, and maybe some elders or, or deacons would love to say, I told you so, Steve, and that would be fine if you want to do that. I'll, I'll be out in the atrium later. Because a membership in church is more than just a voluntary membership like Costco. It's it's a partnership of people working for something greater together than they could do on their own. It's a, a partnership that says... Let's work together at bearing fruit for Christ by bringing our gifts together and uniting them, taking the energy that the Lord has given each one of us and, and focusing it in on bearing fruit for His glory, something that maybe we couldn't do on our own. Membership in a church has a, a sense of attachment, not detachment. Detachment where we are attached to every single person that is here in this room, every single person that is on the other side of those cameras that call themselves one of us, a Christian. A sense of attachment not just to those who come here, but those who believe in the name of Christ all around the world. And when we, when we lose a member, and I'm not talking about to the church down the road, when someone is no longer bearing fruit and chooses to leave faith altogether, when they're pruned off the vine, It hurts. Perhaps it's a a relationship lost. Perhaps it's someone that we've cared about and prayed about for years and years and years, and they walk away. There's a hole that's left. When a branch is cut off and an aspect of community is lost. When we think about this pruning, Jesus also wants to get something else clear to us, and, and it's It's because the word he uses for pruning also is similar to the word that he uses in the next verse, which is clean, which John uses. He says, you are already clean. Jesus' words to the disciples that John gives us here says that his disciples are in the process of being not just those who are leaving the community, but each and every one of those who who follows Christ are, are pruned. The disciples have been pruned as they have worked to cut away their personal ambition and replacing them with the ambitions that Christ has brought to them. They've heard Jesus say, deny yourself and take up your cross. They recognize that part of the pruning process is that there is going to be this burden that the Lord is going to put on you that you will need to bear, something that you need to pick up and carry along each day. As they're they're pruned and as their wills are shaped we're supposed to expect more of it. I think it's interesting that we look at this passage on this day, Palm Sunday. We're talking very specifically about branches being cut off. As they're, they're waved for the king who came into Jerusalem... It's interesting to think about all those people lining the streets, laying down cloaks, waving these cut-off branches, and in the coming days, these branches, they'll die. They'll no longer be flexible and pliable like this. In the coming days, they will dry out. And that's kind of what happens to the followers of Christ that were yelling Hosanna and waving the branches. As the days go by, their hearts too perhaps begin to dry up. And their words change from Hosanna, glory in the highest, to crucify him. As we see the impact of people losing their way, being disconnected from the vine... in crucifying Christ. They were a live, vibrant part. And now, maybe worthy of being thrown into the fire, Scripture says. Interesting thing is that's what we do with these. We gather them up dry them out and burn them for ashes for next year ash Wednesday taking something that's vibrant and recognizing sin how is it then how is it that that we remain unlike the the ones who cried Hosanna and then cried Crucify? How is it that we remain in Christ to be a vibrant branch of the vine? I think it first starts with recognizing that life doesn't arise out of ourselves. this branch will not stay living apart from the plant that it was on just as we we don't gain life by those things that we do even if they're quote unquote for the vine you don't gain life by praying more memorizing more knowing more you don't gain life by church attendance records or or bible study attendance You gain life by trust in Christ, by recognizing that it is Christ himself who gives life, that it is Christ himself who who gives us life by way of the Spirit. It It is a trust in Christ himself that gives us the grace that leads to eternal life. It's not anything that arises from ourself. It's not any more effort. It's not having my ducks in a row. It's only recognizing that all of life comes from Him. In our attachment to Him. To remain in community with Him. And in community with those who are a part of Him. To remain in community with one another as we we join our gifts and worship and glorify Him for what He is doing in our life. Abiding, Abiding in Jesus is an invitation to know Him and be known by Him. It's an invitation to experience His love and experience His grace and then give that grace out. It's an opportunity to, to join together with all of those other branches that have been grafted in, all of those other ones that receive life from Christ, in a community that is receiving and giving support, that is receiving and giving love, an invitation into the community that is fulfilling the purpose that God had intended for Israel, to bless the nations, to point to who God is here in this world, and his love for the world. Let us pray together. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to find our life rested within you. Help us to go throughout our days as ones who the Spirit truly makes known that life comes from Christ and life comes from our cooperation with His Spirit. Help us to be as ones that unlike Israel don't aim to be right, but aim to rightly love. Work within us, we pray.